0: Hey everybody, and welcome to another edition of Talking Hockey Sense. My name is Chris Peters, and this is episode 73 of the podcast. We've been away for a little bit, but obviously when the NCAA tournament is here, we have to talk about it, and we are going to break down the entire NCAA men's hockey tournament field on this show. I'll give you some thoughts, maybe even some predictions. I haven't committed to that yet, but I'll probably give them because that's what the people want, right? So I can hopefully help you fill out your brackets and just know that like in March Madness with basketball, anything can happen in the NCAA Men's Hockey Tournament. And uh, while there is no Fairly Dickinson, there is Canisius. So you never know. We'll have to see what happens here in uh, this event. But obviously, one of the great weekends every year, we are going to talk about it extensively on today's episode. But before we get to that, as always, want to remind you, you can catch this podcast on flowhockey.tv on your app on whatever you watch Flow Hockey on. You can find this podcast there. You can also find it on YouTube. So make sure you check that out and subscribe to the Flow Hockey YouTube channel. So if that's the way you want to consume the podcast, you never miss an episode. And lastly, as always, there is an audio version of the podcast, which you can download on your app of choice, which I hope many of you will for this particular episode, because we're going to go in depth. It's just going to be me. It's going to be you. We're going to be talking hockey. And hopefully you get some of the answers that you're looking for without even really asking them because hopefully I'll do a comprehensive enough job for you. But also if you are on those apps, make sure that you leave a kind rating and review. It does help so much getting the, the the word out about this podcast. And as we get rolling, as we get closer to the draft, you're going to see these come out a lot more consistently. And we're certainly going to be working our tails off to give you some of the best coverage you can find on hockey prospects anywhere. All right. So With the sales pitch out of the way, I want to talk to you about the NCAA Men's Hockey Tournament. And right here on Talking Hockey Sense, this is really one of my favorite episodes every year because we've gotten to this stage of the season. All the conference champions are crowned. The selection show is over. um, And there's a great field of teams. And this year in particular, it is going to be a very entertaining tournament. There is not a single weekend on the hockey calendar that I enjoy more. And this includes the draft. And the draft isn't even going to be on a weekend this year so. But this is the the weekend that I enjoy the most. As as a fan and as somebody that loves the game, this is the peak of hockey. So, of course, it'll all be on ESPN's family of networks. uh, And that's where you can watch it. But I just sit on my couch and I just watch hockey for the whole time. And some people have asked me, why don't you go cover one of the regionals? Well, I, I'd i rather just watch all of them together because you've got eight games on over fr- Thursday and Friday that are ex- incredibly consequential. And the single game elimination with that anything can happen feel makes this one of the best viewing experiences that you will have throughout the year. And And frankly, I love the Frozen Four. This weekend is like, just blows that out of the water in terms of entertainment value, in terms of drama, and everything else. Though we do often get very entertaining and close semifinals and finals. And that, of course, will be in the beginning of April in Tampa, Florida, the men's Frozen Four back to Tampa. And a lot of familiar teams. Uh, that that although the team that won it in Tampa last time not in the tournament North Dakota, and I know that'll upset the Fighting Hawks fans out there, um in addition to the tournament, I also do want to talk a little bit later about the transfer portal, which is open um there are a lot of big names in there already, so a lot of uh high profile uh, college hockey players in the transfer portal. And then I also want to talk a little bit more about college free agents. We talked about it with Brad Schlossman a couple of weeks ago, but we want to bring it back and talk a little bit more about it here uh, because uh, some have signed and some will be signing soon and some will become available when the tournament is over. So, we're going to get into everything here. And I want to talk first about the Fargo regional, which is going to provide a lot of entertainment value. So that's going to start on Thursday. um, And that one, the first game will actually be between St. Cloud and Minnesota state. And that is going to be a great matchup. Now I know there are a lot of people in the state of Minnesota that are none too pleased that all three of the Minnesota schools in the tournament this year are in the same bracket. So that means only one of them, or perhaps none of them if Canisius is going to be Cinderella will advance to the frozen four. That said, you know, I think St. Cloud state and Minnesota state, you know, they've got a short trip to Fargo out of the deal. They'll be well-rested. They've, you know, they they're very familiar with each other. We've got two, teams that were in the Frozen Four last year, Minnesota State and Minnesota. They've met multiple times in the NCAA tournament over the last couple of years, and it has been a fascinating matchup every time out. But we're going to start with the number one overall seed, Minnesota. The Golden Gophers are the best team on paper. They have been all season. They have one of the best decors in the country. They have good goaltending in Justin close. They have the number one offensive scoring line in the entire country. 60 goals have been scored by either Logan Cooley, Jimmy Snuggerud, or Matt Nye. 60 goals among those three players for the Golden Gophers this season. They are an absolute wagon of a line. They are all NHL prospects. They are all high-end NHL prospects, and they are great college hockey players. you got two freshmen and a sophomore on that line, and they have been absolutely dominant. Now, Minnesota is coming off of a tough loss. They lost for the second straight year to Michigan in the Big Ten Championship game. That's that one stings a little bit. That one that one hurts because they have they they packed the house, they got everybody there and and this is a team that I think feels like a team of destiny. It feels like a team that is going to do something special. Bringing in Logan Cooley as a as a high-end prospect. Jimmy Snuggerud who was an in-state guy, you know, never really concerned about him going elsewhere, but to get Logan Cooley out of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania and the number 3 overall draft pick, a huge coup there and then Matthew Nye's out of the state of Arizona being one of their best players and returning players and both nice and Cooley, the two out of state guys are the Hobie Baker finalists for the Gophers. This team, I think it's going to be very difficult for anybody to beat them in this regional. I think they are, they don't, none of those teams match up well with them. Um, Minnesota state, I think has perhaps the, the best opportunity due to their experience, their heaviness um, and, and some of the, you know, their decor, but I think top to bottom, it's just going to be really difficult to knock out Minnesota. St. Cloud State, Minnesota State, and Canisius, however, all won their ter- conference tournaments. That's what kind of makes this a little bit fascinating. Is they're coming in with the momentum. St. Cloud State won the NCHC, which, of course, is one of the toughest conferences in the country. And then you've got Minnesota State, who were down 2-0 with two minutes and a little less than 20 seconds to play in regulation in a situation where they had to win because of the way the pairwise worked out. They had to win their conference in order to get into the NCAA tournament. Barring that, they don't get in, and they won, and that put them into the tournament. They won, scoring two goals late, both with the extra attacker out, and then an early overtime game winner uh, was just you know by Zach Stakel. Like, just unbelievable uh, how that all played out, and you saw it on Flow Hockey, and it was amazing to watch because that was classic Minnesota State. Never say die, never out of it. And that is why I think that they're one of the few teams that can really match up with anybody, despite the fact that I think that they lack the depth that they had last year. They don't have Dryden McKay. They you know, they, they have a number of players gone, but they still have some really good players here, uh, especially you know some of the young freshmen that have come in and then two of the best undrafted free agents on the market in Jake Livingstone and Akito Hirose, who will play a mountain of minutes over the course of this tournament. Also, uh, Canisius, another team that you saw their championship game on Flow Hockey. They won Atlantic Hockey by a 3-0 score to Holy Cross, which had been just going through the whole tournament, upsetting people left and right. And Canisius, is, they've got their hands full. But they're a veteran team. They've got a lot of guys with a lot of experience. They've gotten good goaltending. I'll be frank. It's going to take a miracle for them to beat Minnesota. Minnesota. Um, and But we've also seen Holy Cross, many years ago, uh, did this. They upset the number one overall seed in, in Minnesota. We've seen other Atlantic hockey teams come in and upset the number one overall seed. I don't necessarily know if Canisius can do it, but I do want to point out that they're one of the great turnaround stories of this season. The Golden Griffins were last in their league in Atlantic hockey. And over the last couple months of the season, going back to January, they won 15 games 20 of their 15 or 15 of their 20 wins this season came after the calendar flip to to 2023. And then they managed to win their conference tournament. They had to go through battles, three game sets in the semifinals and the, in the quarterfinals. And then they get to the championship game and they handled Holy Cross. And so Canisius is battle tested. They're ready. They've got to go to Fargo. It's a long trip for them but I have a feeling there's going to be a few sneaky North Dakota fans in there that have no interest in cheering for Minnesota. So I'm sure there will be a pretty boisterous Canisius cheering section as there so often is in Fargo, but that is going to be an incredibly entertaining regional. It is going to be uh, a battle. And I think though, I think Minnesota will come out of that region as one, and they will be my pick coming out of Fargo. They're going to have to work for it. It's not going to be, Uh, a a stroll in the park, especially in that second game, whether it's St. Cloud State or Minnesota State. St. Cloud's a little banged up, but they've got a lot of good two-way players. Jackson Castor has been very solid in the net for them. So that's, you know, Minnesota is not a given because nobody's a given in this tournament. But certainly that's a team that I think is going to move the needle quite a lot. And I think they're going to have a a long, deep run here uh, as Bob Motzko gets another chance at a national title. All right, we're moving on to the Manchester Regional, also on Thursday, also some really entertaining matchups, and it will feature the defending national champion, Denver. Now, Denver had a, lo- a number of significant losses from their team last season, but they did retain quite a few players that were going to play a very key role in this year's team, and that starts with their blue line, Mike Benning. The NCHC Offensive Defenseman of the Year has been absolutely sensational in terms of his ability to move pucks, the skill that he's played with, the scoring depth that he provides that team from the blue line. You know, you've got Sean Behrens, who has been a solid player. He's been a little banged up every now and again, but he's been a solid player for them, moves pucks especially well. Justin Lee was the top defensive defenseman in the NCHC this year, um, you know, and has a lot of experience Um, You know, you've got a number of other players like Shai Booyam on that blue line that can help. Jared Wright uh, is a a forward that, you know, brings size. They've got heaviness throughout their lineup is another thing is why I bring up Jared Wright and his, you know, he's uh, like in their third line. And so they have that too. So they've got guys like Buyam with the size, right up front with the size. Justin Lee has been really solid defensively. But then they've got all this dynamic element and it starts with Benning on the back end. But then up front, you've got Massimo Rizzo. And Carter Mazur. And, and Denver's been a team that's been dealing with injuries of late, and and they lose in the semifinal to Colorado College in the NCHC. So it shows that they're a little bit vulnerable. Uh, but this is not a team I would count on, especially not when they have Magnus Crona as their goaltender. And Krona has been uh, battle tested. He's been through it, he's won a national title already. Um, you know, it, it wasn't his fault they lost to Colorado College. That was a very tight, low scoring game. They didn't get the scoring help that they needed. Uh, but Magnus Crona makes a big difference. But You know, up front with Mazer, Rizzo, also a freshman like Aiden Thompson, who's made a significant contribution, a transfer, uh, an older transfer player like Casey Dornbach has played big-time minutes for this team. So they are going to be a very tough out, and they will play Cornell. And I got to say, it does – I think any college hockey fan that went through the pandemic, and that means all of you because we all had to go through it, in terms of just purely from a hockey perspective, no team was affected more by the COVID shutdown than Cornell. Cornell was the number one team in the country when everything shut down and that the men's tournament was canceled. And, you know, the Ivy Ivy League schools were actually among the most aggressive in terms of the shutdowns. They, they did that pretty early on in the process, shutting their athletic teams down uh, before conference tournaments. And this is at a time where we didn't know what was going to happen. So the number one team in the country sees their season end. I mean, Cornell had a legitimate shot at winning the whole thing that year. They had a great goaltender in Matt Galeta. They had, you know, tremendous talent, top to bottom. They had experience. And then they go through 2020, 21. No, no hockey at the Ivy League schools. So they've had to rebuild. And you got to give Mike Schaefer an absolute ton of credit for what he's done with this program, with what he's done to get these guys back on track you have to give the players that were patient enough to stick around and wait even though that meant for many of them losing an entire year of of playing they stayed around and obviously you know a cornell degree will give you extra motivation i'm sure but they stayed around and they wanted to be a part of this team and now it gives them an opportunity you know to to go up head to head and this is going to be a team that's hungry that has something to prove you know i don't think that they have the the offensive capability to skate and stay with denver but they are going to make them work for everything they get. It is a tough team to score against. They play heavy hockey. You know what you get out of Cornell every single time. And Mike Schaefer has had that type. And those teams are play heavy, they play hard. And if Denver's going to get out of that, it's going to make that next game that much more difficult because they're going to have gone through a war with Cornell. And I am very certain that the Big Red are going to make it very difficult for the Pioneers to you know, start their title defense in that first round game. And that's one where it could be a a trap game for Denver, especially coming off the loss in the semi semifinal, unless that was the wake up call they needed. The second game of this, and this will actually be the first game that's played in terms of the schedule, but I I wanted to go over the top seed first. This, this other game, Boston university versus Western Michigan. You got two teams that are among the highest scoring teams in the country, 3.9 goals for, Uh, For each of them that ties them for third in the country. Uh, So, you know, there's been a lot of talk, take the over. Um, And yeah, maybe you should, because these are two teams that have a lot of offensive firepower and their goaltending has been inconsistent this year. Boston University has Drew Camesso. Last year, I thought he was one of the best goalies around. I thought that, you know, he played exceptionally well, even though the team in front of him was not very good. And this year, I see, you know, a guy like, Came and it's been up and down. It's been a very inconsistent year for him. And the Chicago Blackhawks draft pick, you know, he 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 decided not to play in the world juniors in the summer, which I had, you know, I respect that decision because he wanted to put all his focus into this season. Unfortunately, the season hasn't gone all that well for him personally, despite the fact that the team in front of him has been very good. Um, so that's a big thing. But then Cam Roll on the other side for Western Michigan. When he's been good, he's really given them a chance to win. When he's not been, it's it, it, they have to outscore all of their problems. And so that makes it very difficult for them to move forward as a, as a group. And so if Camro plays well, they got a chance because they've got Jason Pullen, Ryan McAllister, Max Sasson. They've got a tremendous forward group. They can score with anybody. Poland is the number one goal scorer in the country with 29 goals this season. He's a Hobie Baker finalist. Ryan McAllister has been one of the top scoring freshmen. He set records last year in the Alberta Junior Hockey League. And Max Sassen is one of the guys that is a, such an exceptional two-way forward and with speed that NHL teams are already looking at him to potentially sign him to a contract as an undrafted free agent. Um, Whether or not he decides to go is kind of going to be up to him because there are going to be offers out there for him. And he is a a guy that can make a huge difference. And also Zach Glambos, who has been a really talented offensive defenseman for this team. So Western is going to be a tough team to beat. But Boston University has Lane Hudson, who is having one of the best freshman seasons we've ever seen in college hockey. That's not hyperbole. The numbers bear that out as well. He's a top 10 Hobie Baker finalist. He very well could end up in the Hobie hat trick with how well he has played. He has 47 points so far this season. It's the highest number of points for a U-19 freshman defenseman in the country since Brian Leach had 47 in 1986-87. So that is how long... It's been since we've seen a freshman defenseman do what Lane Hudson is doing. He had a better freshman year than Adam Fox, than Quinn Hughes, then Luke Hughes, than any of these guys that have gone you know, Kale McCarr, you name it. This has been the most productive season for a young defenseman. And Hudson scored two goals in the Hockey East Championship game, including the game-winning goal in overtime. This kid is special. And now if you're a Montreal Canadiens fan, you say, well, we better get this guy under contract. Not so fast, my friends. I think that they really need to, Allow him to stay in school because, as we all know, and as has been the story about Lane Hudson, he is not a very big player. He's got a lot of uh, physical maturation still that needs to happen before he can be a successful NHLer. But I will tell you his brain, his feet, and his hands are elite for his position. And I was having a conversation with a friend on the phone the other day, and people have always asked me, who who does Lane Hudson remind you of? And people say like Sam Girard from the, they'll say Quinn Hughes. You know, some people might even say like a Paul Coffey. You know, I think he's Johnny Goudreau, the defenseman version of Johnny Goudreau. I mean, he's 5'10", ish um 150 pounds and he is one of the most gifted stick handlers you're going to see so um i think that he is an exceptional player to watch and i can't wait to see how bu and western michigan match up because that is going to be a sensational couple of days of hockey um i think that that game could be super high scoring super entertaining a lot of back and forth you know, beyond Hudson, BU does have some really good offensive, talented play, offensively talented players, including freshman Ryan Green. You know, J. O'Brien has really stepped up this year in offensive role. Matt Brown is the second leading scorer on the team as a senior. Um, so, this is a team that I really think has a lot of potential. Um, if you're going to ask me which of these teams comes out of the region, you know, I I, I like Boston University to do that. I think that Drew Kameso can still play at a high enough level. And he had a great game against Merrimack in the in the hockey's championship game. If he plays his best hockey, he can be one of the best goalies in the nation, or at least one of the best guys still standing in the in the tournament. So that's why I'm gonna pick BU to come out of Manchester uh, in that regional. And I, I just I think it's gonna be fascinating if we get a BU Denver matchup. I mean, there are so many different scenarios left to play out that I just simply cannot wait. Uh, cannot wait for, and I think it's going to be an awful lot of fun to watch that. All right, we're going to move on to the Bridgeport Regional, and that is where Quinnipiac will have essentially home ice advantage uh, as the Connecticut-based team. They will be there in Bridgeport, and they have been outstanding this year, but they did not win the ECAC tournament. They got bounced by Colgate in a long overtime game. Ross Mitten with the great uh, finish to to. To win that for Colgate. Colgate ends up winning. And we'll talk about them very shortly as they're in the Allentown regional after winning the ECAC. But Bridgeport is going to be another one of those regionals where I think it's just going to be an all-out war to get to the finish line here. And that Quiddapiac, even though they have this lofty position as the number two team, the way that the seeding worked out, they're going to end up playing Merrimack. And that's to avoid interconference matchups, because Colgate could have would have been the team essentially that the number two seed plays. They look to avoid that. So Merrimack will be the team that they play. And I think that's a tougher matchup overall for Quinnipiac, even though they did just lose to Colgate. So um, I think Merrimack has a lot of offensive potential. And also when they get the goaltending, they're really tough to beat as well. So I guess that's true for every team. When when, when when you could say that about anybody, right? I mean, goaltending is kind of important. But anyway, moving on, speaking of important goaltending, Quinnipiac has Yaniv Peretz, who is a once again a Hobie Baker finalist. He's been outstanding. The team in front of him really allows him to see a lot of the shots. But he's still the goaltender still has to be the, the last line of defense. He's been that effectively over the last two seasons. And it's been really special to watch him at the top of his game. The thing that really strikes me about this Quinnipiac team this year relative to previous years is they've always had a couple of guys that are high, high-end scorers on their team. Um, and this year they have it again in Colin Graff, who's another Hobie Top 10 finalist. I'm really excited to watch him in this setting because this is going to really challenge him overall. But when you look at Quinnipiac as a team, they've got good balance. They've got players that can do things all over the all over the ice. They've got guys that have made – uh, significant contributions offensively. Graf is way ahead of everybody with 55 points this year as one of the top scorers in college hockey. But then, you know, you look at the different players, you know, Ethan DeYoung on a graduate year with 37 points. You got Sam Lipkin, who's been an outstanding freshman, averaging a point per game for them in an Arizona Coyotes draft pick. Um, Skylar Brindamore has been such a tremendous two way forward and is, you know, has over 30 points this season. So they have depth and then, they you know, even Zach Metza, who was one of the top scorers on their team last year as a senior defenseman, came back for a graduate year. And, you know, he he hasn't had to be the guy offensively for them. And that has really opened things up. But then you go and you look at Peretz and and know when you have a defenseman, you have a good defense in front of you and you have a goalie that's played as well as Peretz has, he's got a 929 save percentage, and that's going to be really interesting to see, uh, you know, where all of that ends up, uh, you know, how, how he's able to, you know, can he carry this team through to the next round? So that's something to, to keep an eye on, you know, up next, we got to talk about, um, you know, Merrimack, wh- which is the team that they're going to play and what a season it's been. It started with such a tragedy, losing uh, assistant coach, Josh Chiaco died suddenly uh, before, you know, really early this season. And and it was a, a very painful and personal, um you know, experience for head coach, Scott Bork, who, who recruited and coached Josh at UNH, um, years ago. And Chiaco also recruited many of these players to this program and they've rallied around each other. They've had one of the best seasons that Merrimack has ever had. They've, they got into the tournament as an at large. So a pretty impressive, you know resume that they had to be able to get in as an at-large despite losing the Hockey East Championship game. And now you've got a team that has something special. The only way that this team can beat Quinnipiac, however, is if they're getting major contributions from their best offensive players. We know Hugo Olas, who's a, a New York Rangers draft pick, is a solid goaltender. He's going to give them a chance. They play good defense as a team. But it's all going to come down to can they score when it matters most? And the one thing that Merrimack has this year that has been different from previous years is Alex Jeffries, a go to offensive performer who has put up points, who can take over a game, who can put the team on his back when necessary. He has 41 points, 12 more than anybody else on his team. Matt Capone is the next guy in line in the scoring, and he has got 14 goals this season. There are three players with 14 goals, um, and that also includes Ben Brar. So this is a team that absolutely is a threat to Quinnipiac, and I think that this is one of those one of those moments where you know Merrimack has had some magic this season I call it Merri magic you know like they have had some real tremendous games over the last you know really over the whole season they you know there wasn't anybody they couldn't beat this year and so do they have one more in them it's going to take everything they have and they're going to need their top offensive players playing at an especially high level but that's one where man, that that can be a really great first round matchup for a top seed. And it's definitely, you know, Quinnipiac is going to have home ice. They're going to have a little bit of that, but I'm sure you're going to see quite a few Merrimack folks make the trip over to Bridgeport as well, because this is going to be a very entertaining uh, regional over there. In the other game, it's going to be a, a, a unique matchup as well. Harvard versus Ohio State. Now, Ohio State has had a very up and down season. But when they have been good, they have been able to beat just about anybody. They've had key wins over teams like Michigan. They've given some trouble to Minnesota as well. They've, they, you know, they actually did beat Minnesota earlier this season in a in a in a very high scoring game. Um, you know, but they haven't played as well in the last part of the season, which is I think where we start talking about, you know, are are they going to be ready for the challenge that lies ahead with Harvard and? They they've lost, you know, some some several. They had one of the toughest closing schedules you could ask for through February where they had to go, you know, play Penn State at home. And then it was at Notre Dame, you know, a home, a, a neutral site game against Michigan at Minnesota, you know, and then they had to play Penn State in a very hard fought playoff series in the Big Ten tournament before ultimately losing to Michigan. I just don't know if there's enough on this Ohio State team to hang with what Harvard is going to throw at them in terms of their speed, their skill, their scoring depth. But they do have Jakub Dobish, and he is one of the best goaltenders when, when sharp. And he had a 918 save percentage this year, but very early on in the season, he was stealing them games. He was making major saves. He's got a number of games this year where he had to really stand on his head you know, making 35 or more, 32 or more saves happened quite a, quite often this year. So that's going to be something to watch. And I think that he is the difference. You know, he could be the difference if Ohio State's going to win. I think it's going to be because of their goaltending. But then you look at what Harvard brings to the table. And I got to tell you, this is a team that I think could be a very sneaky national title threat. Um, I think that they have experience. They have talent. They have speed. They have skill. Um, And they have guys that can put the puck in the net whenever they want to. It seems they have three 20 goal scorers on their roster, including Sean Farrell, a Hobie Baker finalist, Alex LaFerriere and Matt Coronado is a first round pick of the Calgary flames. Farrell is a, a, he had 52 points this season. He is a handful for anybody just because he plays so hard, so fast, and he's got tremendous skill and, and great hockey intelligence, just a masterful player to watch. And then, you know, You've got a guy like Alex LaFerriere who has this combination of size, strength, grittiness. Uh, you know, he gets into the mix. He gets to the net. Those are the things that he brings to the table that are just so fascinating that that he has that plus the skill to finish. And he's had a number of, of high-scoring games this year. And then Matt Coronado, who I thought was outstanding at the Summer World Junior Championship, maybe one of USA's, if not their best player. Um, and he does so many things on and off the puck as well. He had 139 shots on goal this season, second only to Laferriere, who had 148 um, in just 33 games. So pretty, pretty remarkable there. The thing that I would have concern about if I am Harvard is can we defend at a high enough level? Um, Henry Thurun is a great two-way defensive moves pucks especially well I think his defending is is vastly improved you know Ian Moore is a guy that has size and mobility um you know Ryan Healy is a tremendous skater on the back end Ryan Sidum uh, has had a very good year as well but can they defend at the level necessary to go against top teams that has been kind of what we haven't been able to really learn this year and you look at some of their non-conference games you know they they played a tight game with Michigan they had a tough loss to Michigan as well lost to BU um you know beat Northeastern uh, earlier this year but then ultimately you know lost to them uh again later on in the year um in the bean pot championship game they struggled with Quinnipiac so when they played top teams they had a harder time finding the finding the net and so Ohio State is a good enough team to beat them Quinnipiac is certainly good enough you know I think even Merrimack is good enough to 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 give them a real threat so there is No guarantees, but I think that that top top group of offensive players for this team, the fact that they've gotten really solid goaltending from Mitchell Gibson this season, who's at a a 925 save percentage in 26 appearances, that gives Harvard a real opportunity to come out of this region, and that's who I am going to pick. I'm going to pick Harvard to come out of the regional uh, over Quinnipiac in that one, and I think it's going to be an absolute battle to the finish, so uh, Harvard to come out of the Bridgeport regional for uh, talking hockey sense if uh, we want to brand it that way. (laughs) Uh, And please, if you do use these picks to fill out your bracket, I bear no responsibility. I I just talk here. All right, we've got one more regional to go before we get into some other quick topics as well. And I want to spend a little bit of time on the Allentown Regional because this is the, the regional that really has a lot of NHL draft implications because of the presence of the University of Michigan. Two NHL draft eligible players on that team that are going to have a chance to go in the first round. Obviously Adam Fantilli, definitely going Gavin Brindley likely going, especially with the way he's played in the second half of the season. But you know, this is a prospect show. So we're going to talk about some prospects as we have throughout here. But you know, I think you look at Michigan right now and you say, okay, they just went into the university of Minnesota in Minneapolis and managed to come up with a big win. That was pretty remarkable to see what they were able to accomplish there with their young team, you know, it was a tight game. They end up winning that game four to three, just a tremendous effort from that group. You know, they, they outshot Minnesota 32 to 25 in that game. And then they got some late goals in the third period. You saw Dylan Duke get involved at the net front. You know, they, they have to be a team that can score the high skill goals, but they can score those gritty goals as well. Guys like Rucker McGordy and Dylan Duke have been able to do that for them. Um, when you look at the Michigan roster, you just see a, a star-studded group. You see Luke Hughes. You see Mackie Samuskevich. You see Rucker McGrordy. You know, we're talking first-round draft picks, and then we've got a guy that's going to go, you know, probably number two in the draft in Adam Fantilli, who just continues to score at an alarming rate this season. He leads the NCAA with 61 points, 1.85. He's just a slightly off the pace that Jack, Jack Eichel had when he won the Hobie Baker. Uh, of course, Eichel ended up with 71 points Fantilli will end up playing a maximum of 37 games this season as he's got to, if he's going to play the rest of the way here. Um so he is unlikely to hit that number especially at this time of the season where it's so difficult to to play against those teams. But you've got a lot of real interesting um other players on that on that group to track and they're going to play their game their their first game against Colgate. And, you know, I don't think anybody's really giving Colgate a chance in this game. They, they battled through. But, I mean, here's the thing. They beat Quinnipiac and Harvard in back-to-back games to win the, the ECAC title, get their first trip to the to the NCAAs in 30 years, and don't count them out. And the reason you can't count them out is because they've got a goaltender by the name of Carter Guylander who's been outstanding throughout the entire year, um, who's been outstanding throughout his collegiate career. He's an He's a Detroit Red Wings draft pick. He's massive. He's, you know, six foot six. He played extremely well. And when you have a goaltender, as we've said, how many times you have a chance and he's the kind of guy that gives them a chance. And and when you've got his size and his capability, he can steal games for you, even against a team as good as Michigan. And, you know, Guylander in his last three starts made no less than 31 saves and all of those were victories. He's got one his five last five starts. And that includes, you know, all of them meaningful games, especially against St. Lawrence in the playoffs and then Quinnipiac and Harvard to win the ECAC title. And, and, you know, Guylander is certainly the guy that that we'll we'll be tracking most closely. But they've got a number of really good players, like Alex Young, who has 39 points this season. Matt Verboon. You know, these are guys that have collegiate experience that are going to make things difficult for you. And. No, they do not have the pedigree of Michigan. And yes, I still think Michigan is going to win that game. But Colgate is not a team to be completely overlooked because they have the goaltender and because they're a team now that's that's playing with house money. Nobody expected them to be here. They knocked out the Alaska Nannix. Uh, if you haven't seen that, um, there are actually two really great stories on College Hockey News. I should have mentioned this one about Merrimack, but Mike McMahon, a tremendous college hockey writer, wrote a brilliant uh, story with Scott Borick, the, the, um, the head coach of Merrimack. He was outstanding. Uh, it, it, talking about Josh Chiaco. I think you should definitely read that Mike has covered Merrimack for, for a super long time. And that's one of the things that, you know, he, he, he covered so well, but there was another great story from Adam Woden who who runs college hockey news about Alaska Fairbanks getting bounced and I just wanted to point out the, the, the approach by Eric Largen and 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 some of their players, like Johnny Sorensen, who used to play at, at the University of Minnesota but transferred out. The classiness and also just the the understanding of, of how this whole thing works, you know, basically why is why is Alaska not in here? Math. In, in the end, they they one more win here or there could have gotten them into the NCAA tournament as an at-large, but because of the way things worked out, they were in the number 15 spot in the pairwise if every team every favorite won the games in the ter- in the in the championship game they were going to be in this tournament colgate upsets harvard and that knocks out the Nanox. and that's an unfortunate thing but that's the way this works and that's the way that tournament time goes and when you are a team like like Alaska where you're an independent you need so many things to go right and one the one thing that they needed at the end didn't go their way and I just the heartbreak that that must have been for that team but to see the, the way that they've handled it since it's just remarkable um and I hope they get back you know it's going to be very difficult for them to do that as an at large um as an independent but I, I did want to take a second to point that out because that's a, an important factor in Colgate's inclusion into this tournament. All right. Last game the, the, uh, of the regional that I want to talk about is Penn State versus Michigan Tech. This is going to be a real interesting one because I don't think that a lot of people have enough respect for Michigan Tech. I watched them a lot this season uh, on flow hockey, a uh, lot of great CCHA games this year, and especially late when they were playing Minnesota State and had a chance. you know. Michigan Tech gets upset in the semifinals by local rival Northern Michigan, so they don't get to play for a CCHA championship. They fell just short of the CCHA regular season championship against Minnesota State in what felt like a playoff game. And now this is it. You know, and this is a position that nobody expected Michigan Tech to be in, certainly not as an at-large, at but they had some key wins. They beat Boston University earlier this year. You know, they played top teams and they played them tough and they've given them a chance. They they also beat the Alaska Antics a couple of times and are a reason one of the other reasons why Alaska is not in the tournament. So what does Michigan Tech have? Well, we've been talking about it all day. So what do you think I'm going to say? They've got goaltending and they've got great goaltending in Blake Pietela who's a top 10 Hobie finalist. I've said it for many weeks now that I think that there is not a player in the country that is as, as important to their team as Blake Piello was to Michigan Tech this year and will be in this game. I like Michigan Tech's chances against Penn State. Penn State is kind of limping into this national tournament. Now, the one thing about the Nittany Lions that, that gets brought up an awful lot, and I'm sure that they're sick of hearing it, but it's an important factor, is that when it comes to strength of schedule... Annually, Penn State has one of the weakest strengths of schedule, and this year, you know their their strength of schedule, according to College Hockey News, um, wasn't quite as bad as it had been. In fact, that you know that that has been talked about a lot. It their strength of schedule this season, and a lot of it has to do with how good the Big Ten was this year, was sixth. Many years before, you know their their non conference schedule is pretty soft. It's not the best. They play a lot of teams that you know they should beat and do beat, and that's helps them get this lofty pairwise ranking there, you know, they finished the year um, in the top 10 in the pairwise. So that gives them a good opportunity, but this is a team that also had some great games against Minnesota and Michigan earlier in the year. But as the season has progressed, we haven't seen this team take the necessary steps forward. Only three wins um, since the beginning of February and, and actually four, when you go back to January. So, you know, four wins in the last couple of months, they they are really limping into this tournament. Michigan Tech, still smarting from that semifinal loss, I think is going to be a very motivated team. They've got some really good offensive players. Kyle Koukanen is a really good player that um, was the rookie of the year in the CCHA. He's a draft pick of the Anaheim Ducks. That's a guy you have to be aware of. They have a good defense. They play with great structure. And Penn State also plays with great structure. They have a little bit more depth. They have some size and some speed to them. But Michigan Tech is one of those teams where I just think watch out because they're going to be a very tough out. I do think that this regional is going to come down to the University of Michigan. I think that the Wolverines are going to come out. Um, I think that this bracket set up fairly well for them, teams that they match up well against teams that they can potentially beat. Um, you know, they're going to have to go through some really good goaltenders. They're going to have to get great goaltending themselves from Eric Portillo. They're going to need their top players to score, but I just think their scoring depth, their speed, those will be factors, and that will allow Michigan to get out of the Allentown Regional. So if you are keeping score, the four teams that I have heading to the Frozen Four, Minnesota, Boston University, Harvard, and Michigan. So that is my final four, my Frozen Four picks. And again, I bear no responsibility if they're wrong, and I apologize if they're wrong. I've been wrong a lot on this on this particular tournament, and I there's no shame in it. You, you can be the biggest expert on college hockey and still not have a clue who's going to win these games because all it takes is a goalie getting hot, a player taking over a game, a coach making a boneheaded decision, a player making a boneheaded decision, a major penalty. Anything can happen in these games, and you only get one shot at it, and that is why we love tournament hockey. March Madness is great. This tournament is my favorite. And I really like the basketball tournament as well. Don't want to talk about it because Iowa State got bounced in the first round and it was maybe the worst basketball game that I've ever watched in my entire life. Anyway, moving on. I'm not thinking about it. I'm not crying about it. Uh, moving on, we are going to talk quickly about some of the the college free agent signings and also uh, some other notable players that have decided not to pursue their professional contracts yet. Uh, the first player I wanted to address is Hunter McCount, who signed with the Columbus Blue Jackets. and And we didn't spend... Uh, we, we did spend a bit of time w- on him with Brad Schlossman last week, and Brad brought up some great points about the development of Hunter McCown. And I think over the last two seasons, he really took off. And, and the reason that I love this signing for the Columbus Blue Jackets, and if you're a Blue Jackets fan, you should be excited about him, is that this is a player, It is very, when you get a college free agent, it is very rare to find a player that is 20 years old because Typically, these players are have been passed through the draft. Hunter McCown could have gotten drafted last season. That's how young he is. He could have gotten drafted last season. Nobody took him, despite the fact that he had an improved year. Now he's got two years where he has shown... Yes, I'm a better offensive player. Yes, I can play with strength. Yes, I can play with skill. And yes, my skating ability and other things have improved. So that's what he's proven. And now he's a Columbus Blue Jacket. I think he's one of the top college free agents in this class in a year where it is admittedly very weak. It is not exactly the most exciting class. It has gotten less exciting over the last couple of weeks with some players announcing that they're going to stay in school. Uh, But that is something that we'll continue to monitor uh, because those – like guys like Jake Livingston uh, and and Akito Hirose will be coming out. And, and there are a few others whose seasons are over who are mulling multiple offers right now. Uh, but that'll be interesting. To get to the players that did not sign contracts and will not sign contracts, the one that surprised me the most was Victor Oseman. Victor Osman's the top goaltender for the University of Maine. He's had a great year. He has a lot of NHL interest. Teams were coming to offer him an opportunity. However, he decided he wanted to stay for that fourth year at Maine. And I think that those offers are still going to be there. And the other reason that I think he wants to stay is Maine is going to be a much more competitive team next year. They have a good recruiting class coming in. I'm sure they will be aggressive in the transfer portal. You get Victor Osman, you have a chance because he's a really good goaltender. I think those NHL deals will be there. And they're for these guys that decide to stay in school. The biggest risk they're taking on is that they get hurt significantly enough where teams lose interest. The likelihood of that happening is pretty low. Um, It's also pretty low that a lot of these guys are going to make a significant impact on NHL organizations, significant enough to earn a second contract. So why rush that process? And that's what I think a lot of these guys that are college free agents are learning. They're like, I can sign after my first good college season and maybe I'm not ready and I might be out of pro hockey within two years. But if you stay, you extend that you also give yourself two more years under an NHL contract, and you are better prepared for that opportunity. So I think that these players making that decision to stay are making a good personal decision, both for their development and for their pro prospects. Um, Another guy who made an announcement that he is going to stay in school is Reese Gaber from the University of North Dakota. Undersized player, but incredibly gifted offensively, super tenacious, plays with a lot of fire. Every place he has been, he has been a meaningful contributor to his team and has been a fan favorite, a coach favorite, a teammate favorite. So that's the kind of guy that you want in your organization. He will be returning to North Dakota next year. Another interesting free agent, Jacob Bankson, who plays for or played for Lake Superior State University. He has decided to enter the transfer portal. It sounds like all indications are that he will be committing if he hasn't already to Boston College. Um, and so that is a defensive defenseman that Boston College has. In, and they have a really good recruiting class coming in. So that could only help Jacob Bankson if he plays on a, on a competitive team and plays a big enough role. He might have an even bigger market. I don't think the market for him was super huge when he came out. But that is a couple of the guys that you need to know about that are not going to be college free agents anymore. Um, Some of the ones that we're still waiting on, we're waiting to see where Parker Ford goes. We're waiting to see, you know, where the guys that are still playing will go. Uh, But, you know, that Hunter McCown signing for Columbus was a big one. And then also, you know, those three guys that decided to go back to school um, and there will be others. Uh, It'll be interesting to see kind of what happens. Uh, You know, the, the transfer portal is hopping right now too. Um, And that is what is going to bring us now to our Q&A session and very excited to bring that back because we don't have many this week because I didn't put out a call for questions. I'm trying to get to ones that I missed in previous episodes, but this one will come from Jonathan and Jonathan asks question for the pod top three college hockey players who are currently in the transfer portal and a potential landing spot for each of them. Thank you much. Well, Jonathan, thank you for the question. So let's first explain a little bit more about the transfer portal itself. If you're not familiar with it, the transfer portal is is a place where players can, they can get into the portal. They can put their names in. It lets all the NCAA teams know, hey, I'm available. I'm leaving school. I would like to be, I would like you to recruit me. Now they, they could potentially go back to their school that they are leaving from if they want to. Um, Brad Schlossman, who was my guest uh, last week or a couple weeks ago, he has been all over the transfer portal at the at the Grand Forks Herald. He has a, a running list going, and some of the key names that are in there right now. Um, one actually just got spoken for, according to uh, reports. Red Savage, who played at the University or Miami University, um, and is a Detroit Red Wings draft pick, decided to transfer, and he is committed to Michigan State, where he will go and be reunited with uh, with Adam Nightingale, who was a former National Team Development Program coach. He didn't actually coach Red Savage there. But uh, that was Dan Muse. But you know, Red Savage has this opportunity now to go play for a coach that that is a little bit more familiar with his game, and certainly play in a program that seems to be a little bit more on the rise. And Michigan State seems like it'll be a big player in the transfer portal. So I think that Red Savage, you know, when I talk about big names or the best players I'm thinking more about guys that are going to help at the collegiate level, as opposed to how they are as prospects. Cause I think red Savage is one of those guys that, you know, he played at Miami for two years, not a very competitive program. Now he's getting an opportunity to, to go help, you know, help a program that, that I think he could play a very significant role in and be very helpful. So I think that's a good thing for him. Um, You know, I would also say that, that the, the, the goalie market is going to be very interesting, and it has been so far in terms of the, the, the number of players that, that are transferring. There are two particular names in there that I think are of of note. The first is Luke Pavisich, who played at, at UMass this season. Um, very good goaltender, good size. I, I have a feeling that he probably knows where he's going already, but that's a guy that I think will be viewed as a college free agent. After next season, another is Ethan Hader from Clarkson. He's a Nashville Predators draft pick. Clarkson had a really tough season. That was a team I had really high expectations for this year, and they just did not come close to meeting them. Um, but those are two guys that 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 have a real opportunity to to make an impact um, wherever they land, because I think that that's 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 going to be uh, a very interesting couple of players that that will will make some. Make some uh, make some plays and and make you know be be guys that can contribute to a team. Um, another name to know that's in the in the portal also from Clarkson Alexander Campbell, another Nashville Predators draft pick. That's um, a guy that I just don't think he's necessarily lived up to his potential um, in college hockey. He's a really talented player. Um, you know he had had some success. And then you know I think of the other draft player drafted players in the portal, Jack Hughes from Northeastern. Uh, Los Angeles Kings draft pick. He is in the portal. It is expected that, you know, there's been a lot of rumors that he's going to a big 10 school. Um, his brother, Riley Hughes also could be joining him there. Um, so though, those are some interesting names. And then from North Dakota, Brent Johnson, who's been, a you know, has not had necessarily the greatest college career. He was a healthy scratch a lot last year. Um, you know, it was a third round draft pick. So it's not, you know, he's a guy that I think, you know, has some, has some, uh, respect among, among, you know, the scouting community, Um, but he is transferring out of North Dakota, so we'll see where he lands. He's a Texas native, so uh, really could go uh, anywhere. A very skilled defenseman. Um, I don't have any uh, lines on where those guys are going to go, uh, but I would say that they are all players that can help their respective teams whenever they make their decision. All right. I did get a, also got a question via direct message from Gary. And I got this a couple of weeks ago. So Gary, I apologize. It's taken me so long to get to this. Uh, But there's going to be some college names in this one. And Gary asked me, if you had to redraft the top 10 of the 2022 draft, what would it look like based on the draft plus one year so far? Well, you know, the redraft is always a, a tough exercise because hindsight is... 2020, obviously we, we see, we know more. And the funny thing about redrafts is, is sometimes we redraft like a year after the draft. And then it turns out that the order before was actually not so bad because players don't develop in a linear fashion. So I give you that with this. So, so I'm going to do it for you, Gary. I'm not going to do the top 10, but I am going to do the top five. Um, and I do think that there are a number of players that will have moved into the discussion um, for different players, but I didn't want to stray too far from my original board that I put out last last year around the draft. And so I had Logan Cooley first. Then I think it's only more solidified now based on what we've seen him do at the University of Minnesota, one of the most dynamic players in the country, an exceptional player, fast, he does everything well. <coughs> Excuse me. And I think I still think he has the highest star potential of the players that we've we've talked about. The next guy on my list would be David Juracek. If you look at his numbers in the AHL this year, just truly sensational. He was just magnificent at the World Junior Championship this year. I think Columbus got a steal getting him at sixth. I had him fourth um, last year. I still think that he's uh, a high-quality guy to have. (coughs) Excuse me. And I would say... You know, that's, he, he looks to me like he's going to be a number one defenseman in the NHL eventually. It's going to take some time. There's going to be more development ahead of him. He looks like he's going to be a number one defenseman. Um, And the rest of the guys that are on the list that I have at, for my redraft, I don't think they're top of the lineup players. Um, And that includes Shane Wright. So Shane Wright would be my number three. He was number two on my draft list. Obviously went fourth. Slavkovsky, sorry, Slavkovsky was fourth on my draft board and he's fourth still. And then Cutter still at five. Um, that's as far as I'm going to be able to go <coughs> on that one as I choke on my own words. But yeah, but I, I think the top five, it's, I don't want to get too in the weeds. I'd say another guy that's really risen up the the, the ranks is Jimmy Snuggerud. I think Simon, Simon Nemich is still a very good prospect, but I think I feel comfortable with where I had him pre-draft, which was closer to seven. Um, you know, and I think that that's the, we're going to continue to watch these guys and evaluate them. And some of these guys are going to be in the NHL next year. Some won't. Um, and that will always change our evaluation, but really it's a fascinating, uh, a fascinating group to track. It wasn't a, the the strongest draft ever. It still doesn't look as, as strong as, you know, say this year's draft, but interesting nonetheless. So appreciate those questions and really appreciate all of you for joining me on this week's episode. This has been a lot of fun. This is my favorite weekend of the year. This is one of my favorite episodes to produce every year. And I want to thank Nico Renna for producing this episode and being with us for along the ride here. We've had to fight through some things over the last couple of weeks and technical difficulties and everything else, but we're hoping to give you a really good product here and and, and hope that you're enjoying the show uh, as we've been able to get it out here, we will keep it rolling, but my thanks to Nico for, for sticking with me and, and giving it, giving it a, uh, giving us a, another go here and getting us off the ground because I'm having a blast talking to you guys. I hope that you're enjoying listening. And as a reminder, check us out on YouTube, check us out on flowhockey.tv, certainly on your podcast apps of choice as well. And don't miss any of that action on college hockey because there is going to be a ton of that. And when you're done with that, come on back over to Flow Hockey. Watch the playoff race in the USHL. Watch the playoff race in the ECHL. Some of these guys from these college teams might be in that ECHL playoff race for all we know. So make sure you are tuning in to Flow Hockey and get those subscriptions rolling so that we can continue to bring you some of the best hockey action anywhere. And it's been a lot of fun for me to be a part of. I hope that you guys will check it out. But anyway, that's going to do it for this week's episode. We're going to have plenty to talk about next week as well and a lot more as the season progresses, the NHL draft creeping up on us. So we'll make sure we get back to that kind of talk once again as well. That's going to do it for me. My name is Chris Peters. This is Talking Hockey Sense, and we'll catch you next time.